Welcome to the Ranking Things Podcast, the production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com. I'm Jason Davis. I'm Les Sinclair. Les, we have chosen a fun subject for today's podcast. We're going to rank our top stand-up comics. Yeah, this is going to be something. When I agreed to do stand-up comedians, I thought it was going to be easier. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know, right? I really did. This was really challenging because there are just so many to choose from, right? Yeah. Well, that's the great thing about the podcast because the top five is one thing, but then we can have a list of everybody else that we really like that didn't make the top five. And I kind of feel like they could all be in the top five, depending on what mood I'm in. Not only what mood you're in, but also the exposure that you're getting to them. They could rise or lower in rank. That's true. There's probably a million great stand-up comics out there, but there can only be five that make the top five in ranking things. So should we get into it? I'd love to. All right. So who do you have for number five? So number five on my list is the incredible Jerry Seinfeld. He's a, a fine choice. He didn't make my top five, believe it or not. Is that right? Yeah, he's he's great. I love Jerry Seinfeld. I'm a big fan of his show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Yes, I don't know if you've too. ever watched that. Yeah. Yes. That's a great show to watch if you've never seen it. It's on Netflix. If you want to really understand the mindset of a comic, that really delves into it because he really breaks it down with all of his guests. And they each, you know, come from a different point of view sometimes. And I don't know. It's very interesting. I've always been fascinated with stand-up comedy personally. I think it's a, it's an amazing gift and an amazing talent that these people have because to get up there for an hour at a time and just nonstop, and you know that they're not talking about any of the stuff that they're talking about off the cuff. I mean, this is a well-thought-out hour of material that has been rehearsed and refined. They really put a lot of thought into what they're saying, right down to the words. Yeah, every single word, especially Jerry yeah. Seinfeld. Yes. Yeah, Jerry was um, notorious for rewriting, writing, rewriting. The cast of Seinfeld were on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week until their season was done because they would rewrite something just to make it a little bit better. And mm-hmm. he, he's known for his elevation of comedy. I mean, he really, truly believes in his soul. And you can see this in Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. Mm-hmm. You can see this. Because he talks often about the the respect that comics and comedians deserve. Oh, absolutely. I think that to be a great stand-up comic is probably a, a bigger talent and maybe even tougher than being a really great dramatic actor or actress. Yeah. The timing of making someone laugh, especially over the course of an hour over and over again, it's amazing. Well, and it's not just someone. It's a collective group, right? right. I mean, you're, you're working. And this is one of the things that you discover from watching his show on Netflix is that many of the comedians call it working out. If they're rusty, I was watching an episode with Eddie Murphy and he was talking about he would have to start at the bottom again if he were to oh, go yeah. out and do a show because he said, I need to work out. And many of them talk about how they have to work out, which is almost figurative to lifting weights you know you gotta get the craft back you gotta get your timing down you gotta get the words right it's pretty incredible they start with a concept for a joke or a bit they kind of have a a rough sketch of it or whatever and then they go in front of audiences different audiences and they start to hone that down yeah to what we eventually see on a special one of the things when you and i worked together at the radio station you talked about was word economy getting your point across in as few words possible to make it funnier. And I think that's a gift that a lot of, well, actually every stand-up comic probably has, is taking something that's funny and making it funnier by honing it down to 
the right amount of words and the yeah. right exact words. And yeah, Seinfeld's a, a master it, at that. Yes, there there is a there is not just word economy, but it's the right words. It's sort of like using if you've ever used Grammarly, it'll tell you to cut out certain words. But if you're a creative writer, some of those words matter, especially right. when they're adjectives. You know, the difference between he is funny or he is very funny. There is a difference. And Grammarly would tell you to take out very or really. Sometimes you got to leave those adjectives, some some of those words in. Yeah. And of course, his show, you know, the Seinfeld show. I mean, here we are almost 30 years later. Actually, it is 30 years later, I think, from right. when it originally aired. Yep. And it's still funny. Uh, it's great. Well, and it's a show about nothing. I think that's why it's so funny, because it's not a moment in time. It's actually, right. these are funny scenarios that happen in real life all the time. Yeah, but his stand-up comedy is awesome. He didn't make my top five only because there's there's other people that I really like a lot yeah. that I wanted to make sure were in the top five. And plus, I wanted to have a little diversity going on in the top five, personally. Yep. You can't do a podcast like this without talking about Seinfeld, for sure. Well, I had some criteria when I was doing my top five. I, I really wanted people who transformed beyond comedy, maybe had some social importance. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted them to be in movies and other things besides just being comedians. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to have some sort of catchphrase. Okay. And, uh, then I judged them a little bit on their money, their success as well. And Seinfeld's, uh, you know, he's the richest comedian ever. He's oh, $950 yeah. million dollar net that's, worth that's and crazy. 180 episodes of Seinfeld. So he's, he's up there. Yeah. I mean, most of his money obviously comes from the show, but before the show, he was doing stand-up for, I don't know, 20 or 30 years before that even. So he's been around. So for number five for me, I chose Wanda Sykes. Did you now? I did. I had some other people that I was considering. And then I remembered um, seeing Wanda Sykes special. It's called Not Normal. It's from 2019. On, it's on Netflix. There's something about her delivery, her voice. Her material's great. And she's actually another one of those people that is very great in movies, too. Very yes. funny. One of my favorite things she did was she played the couples therapist in Bad Moms. Yes, <laughs> just really, really, really funny. She has quite a resume, too. She spent five years writing for The Chris Rock Show on HBO. As a performer and writer, she was nominated for three primetime Emmys and in 1999 won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing for a Variety Music or Comedy Special. In 2001, she won the American Comedy Award for Outstanding Female Stand-Up Comic. She's ranked number 70 in Comedy Central's 100 Greatest Stand-Ups of All Time, the only African-American woman to make the list. And in 2009, she made history as the first African-American Master of Ceremonies at the White House Correspondence Dinner. So, I mean, she's done a lot as a stand-up comic. She might be a little bit more known for being in movies and maybe TV shows and stuff, but very funny. I just love her. I think she's awesome. The diversity question was really challenging for me. I think if I had to rate the funniest female comedian, it would be Joan Rivers. I thought a lot about that, and I went, well, Joan Rivers, she can't fit into my top five. There's great female comics. I think there might be a lot of stereotypical gender role-playing in that as well. I think women want to be taken more seriously than to be laughed at. And men don't mind being laughed at, especially yeah. the comedians, right? I mean, they will do stupid stuff. They will say stupid things. They will take mm -hmm. these terrible risks to themselves socially. And I think that's a more challenging thing for women to do in stereotypical American society. Yeah, I think you're onto something there because maybe for women, their backs are already against the wall because men make more money and men get taken more seriously and men do this and men do that. I think it sucks because I think women and men should be equal in society. 
Actually, I think women should fucking rule everything because I think they're smarter than men most of the time. There's an element of compassion and empathy that women have almost automatically that men just don't. So I don't feel like there's not funny women out there. I think there definitely are. Comedy gives men uh, an advantage in the dating arena as well. Women don't need that advantage. You get these really ugly guys who are getting with models. And how do they do that? They make them laugh. And so it's it's a trait that also men use to peacock, so to speak. You know, they got to show their feathers. Right, because they're ugly physically, so they have to make you laugh instead. It is that creative nature that can get attractive women to like ugly men. (laughs) Now, we're talking about stand-up comics But I have to say that almost all of the women that have gone through the doors of Saturday Night Live have been very, very funny. And I and a lot of it, what I love the most about the women that have been on SNL is that they don't care about being ugly. They'll wear crappy wigs, weird makeup. They'll put themselves out there 100 percent. They'll fully commit. And that makes me laugh. And again, you hit on that stereotypical thing. That is Mm -hmm. why they are the outliers, because most women stereotypically Mm -hmm. do care about their appearance. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And how they're perceived in the world. Yeah. Who do you got for number four? My number four is no longer with us. Born in October of 1959. 82 Mm. movies under his belt. One of them being Mrs. Doubtfire. It's Robin Williams. Ah, Great choice. Great choice. You could do a whole podcast on Robin Williams, honestly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He was a shy kid. He didn't come out of his shell until... High school, which is kind of interesting because he ended up in the Juilliard School in New York City, and mm-hmm. that's where he met his uh, BFF, his brother from another mother, as he said, Christopher Reeve. Um, mm-hmm. And so they were lifelong friends. He's worth, because I talked a little bit about movies and, and uh, transforming society a little bit, he's worth $50 million. And he his movies made $6 billion because wow. he has been able to translate that comedy. And I think the comedians, here's the thing, I think the comedians can tap into emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is why so many of the comedians are in these great movies. You think about Jim Carrey, who can translate from being this really weird, funny guy mm-hmm. to being able to make us cry. And think about weird things too i mean robin williams did the same thing where he did some scary movies where he was like this really strange individual and yeah he also one hour photo laughing. anyone yeah exactly yeah robin williams is genius jim carrey too i always say that jim carrey was the only comic that could have pulled off ace ventura pet detective yeah if there was anybody that would Sorry. give him a run for his money it would be robin williams but i think it was a little too almost too silly for him but for Jim Carrey, it was perfect. But yeah, Robin Williams, I mean, just incredible. And it's interesting, you said that he, he was really shy as a kid and he didn't you know, come out of his shell. But boy, when he came out of his shell, did he ever. <laughs> didn't he, though? Yeah. Oh, and, my God. And his stand-up comedy was crazy. Well, and that was the cool thing, right? I mean, he was such a great stand-up comedian. He reminded me a lot of Jonathan Winters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, they actually appeared together on Mork and Mindy, which I thought was really mm-hmm. good. That was a really good showcase of his ability to just riff off the cuff because he oh, was, yeah. I think in his head, he was quite the madman. And, oh, and yeah. maybe maybe that led to his depression that led to his suicide. Yeah. And, you know, he had undiagnosed Lewy body syndrome as well. Uh, yeah. when he died. Um, so he he was really battling depression. Yeah, and, and we really didn't know about that because, you know, in front of the cameras, he was always on, he was always funny. And when he died, when you hear about a celebrity that you're a fan of dying, 
sure, you go, oh, that sucks, you know. Yeah, yeah. But with Robin Williams was one of the few celebrities that when he died, it really, like, I was like, oh, man, that's a tough one. For years, he's made us laugh. He's moved us with his dramatic acting and stuff. He did so much work with Comic Relief over the years. Right. You know, he was one of the, the main hosts of that. Yeah. You know, so, and to think that he had been battling these demons underneath all that, it's heartbreaking. It's not surprising to me, though, because I think that many of these comedians, what allows them to tap into their creative nature is more of a right brain thing. And that right mm. brain has a tendency to be depressive. I, I heard Jerry Seinfeld talk a little bit about it. I like what he said. He says that in order to be funny, darkness comes with the package. There's something about the mind as an observer that really can go to a dark place. I'm going to get a little philosophical, Jason, but I think <laughs> that comedians are really the jesters of the kingdom. And yeah. when I say that, I mean that the jester was the one who could tell the king that he was a flipping idiot and the court would laugh, but everyone in the kingdom knew that the jester was right. And I think that comedians do that a lot. So there's, there is some oh, darkness yeah. with the comedic package. Yeah. And I think that it's important for comedians to be able to say whatever they want to say. I think the idea of censoring comics in any way is a dangerous slope for sure. Yeah. No question. So. I, I want to throw in about Robin Williams. When he did Aladdin, mm -hmm. he was paid scale, $75,000 yeah. from the Screen Actors Guild for the mm -hmm. voice work there. He had two conditions. One, that his character not be used to sell any merchandise to children. And two, that his character not be shown in more than 25% of the film's advertisements. Disney, of course, reneged on that, and he would not work with them for a long, long time. And yeah. he won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting. He was also nominated for an Oscar in Good Morning Vietnam. So that's mm -hmm. why he's my number four. Who's yours? Number four for me is Australian comedian Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries, really? Yeah. Um, he's had a few Netflix specials, Free Dumb, that's F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B, Right. Bear and Intolerant is his latest one. Uh, the Intolerant special, I actually went to see that tour. I went to see Jim Jeffries with my buddy Tim, and we got to meet him after the show. What a nice guy. He's one of those edgier comics. And plus, the Australian accent, everything he says is funnier because of that for me. Yes, you know? yes. And plus the lingo. You know, Australia, you know, they have a different way of saying things. Like, for example, we say asshole to describe somebody. Uh, they just go right for the cunt they just you know he's he's the, he's not an asshole he's a cunt when he says it it's so nonchalant that you, you don't even feel offended that's one of the words that most people just ooh, you know they yeah. shudder when they hear it right i mean i you know i think it's silly to get um bent out of shape over a word former opera singer which is very surprising and i think he realized that he was a better comic than he was an opera singer so he shifted gears Wow. Um, he was a uh, host and writer of Comedy Central's The Jim Jeffries Show for, I think, five seasons, which was very funny. It was, you know, sort of like The Daily Show, but his take on it. And um, he would finish every show with, you know, I think we could all do better was kind of his, his, you know, tagline, which I thought was great. Nice. I had a couple of quotes from him. Yeah. He said, the Bible's too wordy. The Ten Commandments are a load of shit. You don't need all those things. The Bible should be one sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper, it should say, try not to be a cunt. And if you do that every day, you'll be a good person. <laughs> well, you know, that really is the golden rule. And ultimately, I think that's what the Bible is trying to get us to do. I'm down with that. That's right. Yeah, he, yeah. he should have been an editor. <laughs> Word economy, right? That's right. You're exactly right. <laughs> and one other quote, men don't give a fuck about kissing. 
Used to like kissing when we were in our early teens. Then someone sucked our dick. And then, what's this kissing thing? Why would I ride on the swings? I've already been to Disneyland. So, yeah. So that's the kind of style it has. You know, real in your face. Very, very funny. Who do you got for number three? My number three is a guy who was in uh, 41 movies. Um, He was born Joseph, but that's not the name he used. And he was part of a comedy team back in the 1950s and 60s. He is Jerry Lewis. Okay. See, now I don't really know much about Jerry Lewis as a stand-up comic. I'm more familiar with his work in movies and the telethons and all that kind of stuff. Right. And that was part of my criteria was to to have somebody that went beyond just being a funny person and could Mm -hmm. do something else. He was known as the king of comedy. He was part of Martin and Lewis back in 1956. This is kind of a Mm -hmm. cool thing I, I just discovered this morning. Martin and Lewis had a DC Comics that were the adventures of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis from 1952 to 1957. Then they, of course, broke up and went their separate ways, but remained friends. The comic continued from 57 to 71. Wow. It was the adventures of Jerry Lewis. Wow. (laughs) Who knew? Yeah. Plus, he sang when he and Dean Martin broke up. Mm Mm-hmm. He put an album out, a singing album, and it huh. went to number three on the Billboard album charts. <laughs> I had no idea. Just like a comedian. To be honest, I'm not that familiar with a lot of his stuff. You know, I know he was very silly, obviously. The dude has two stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I think that like gets him in the top five ranking of Yelp for comedians. So it, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, The Bellboy back in 1960. That was his di- directorial debut. It's just a masterful physical comedy I don't think he talks in that. I think he just does funny stuff. And it really is incredible. There's a phone ringing episode where he's got like six phones in front of him. And you can imagine (laughs) 1960, the kind of phone. And the phone rings and he doesn't know which one it is. So he picks it up, you know, and it's like, there's nobody there. And then the other one rings. It it is. Yeah, uh, it is just masterful. He was really good at tapping into what was slapstick funny. I certainly can't deny the impact that Jerry Lewis had in comedy. I mean, the guy's he's a legend. Well, and one of my criteria was outside of comedy, too. The telethon was the most mm-hmm. successful fundraising event in television history. And the dude was active for six decades. Yeah. So that's that's pretty darn cool, too. And he had a catchphrase like, hey, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Number three for me is Brian Regan. Oh, yes. Brian Regan has been working for a long time. I think I first discovered him from his 2000 Comedy Central Presents special. It was a half-hour show. Some of his most classic materials on that, and that's worth seeking out. It's probably on YouTube, I'm guessing, if not somewhere else. 2004, I Walked on the Moon. 2007, Brian Regan, Standing Up. 2008, Brian Regan, The Epitome of Hyperbole. 2015, Live from Radio City Music Hall. 2017, Nunchucks and Flamethrowers. Uh, He had a series that was one season long on Netflix called Stand Up and Away with Brian Regan in 2018. And then uh, 2021, On the Rocks. So a lot of material from Brian Regan that you can check out out there, uh, especially on Netflix. He's one of those guys that says funny things. Things, but he also has a funny delivery style. Yes. And he does faces. He's very physical. And uh, another one that Sue and I uh, had an opportunity to see in person and was just great. I agree with you. He's a really funny guy. And his observational comedy is just spot on and hilarious. 
Yeah, and one of my favorite uh, episodes of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee was him with Jerry Seinfeld, because I think they're old friends, and and I think they come from a a similar point of view when they write, so they had a lot of good stuff to talk about. He has a bit about Pop-Tarts, and I'm not going to do the whole bit, but he talks about how, he goes, you know, you can microwave a Pop-Tart. He goes, that just blew me away that you could could do that. How long does it take to toast a Pop-Tart? A minute and a half if you want it dark? People don't have that kind of time. Listen, if you need to zap fry your Pop-Tarts before you head out the door, you might want to loosen up your schedule. <laughs> so I and definitely you, recommend uh, checking out Brian Regan if you haven't already. Yeah, and if you think about the observational time, you know, he was probably microwaving a Pop-Tart and realized how stupid that is was. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. <laughs> Who do you have for number two? My number two, probably uh, everybody knows him. I know the Supreme Court does because he was part of a Supreme Court case that gave us the seven dirty words. It's George Carlin. George Carlin. George Carlin uh, is amazing. And I'll talk more about George Carlin soon. He was part of what was known as black comedy. So it's a little darker. And he's a guy who, you know, had a dark sense, too. We were talking about that earlier. Known as the Dean of Counterculture Comedians. And Jason, I don't know if you know, but uh, he started out as a DJ like you and I. So I uh, I did read that in my uh, research. Yeah, so he was um, a DJ on KJO in Shreveport, Louisiana. Then he went to Los Angeles. Yeah, it's interesting to think somebody as brilliant and as revered as George Carlin started out in radio. And I'm sure when he started out, it was very different from what we knew as working in radio. I will tell you, Jason, that that's one of the reasons that I got into radio. I fancied myself as being a funny guy, and I Mm -hmm. knew that laughter was something that I loved, and I wanted to give that to other people. And I thought, as I very much like Howard Stern, but I thought this independently before I heard Howard Stern talking Mm -hmm. about it, was that people's lives are pretty crappy. And if you can start their day with a little bit of levity, I think that their day goes on a little bit better. Plus the thing that we know, and this is why I love comedy so much or comedians or anything that makes me laugh. I am Mm -hmm. an easy laugh and I'm Mm -hmm. happy about it because in that moment of laughter, you cannot think about anything dark. That's true. You can't think about anything else other than that funny thing. And it might only be a fleeting moment, but it's a moment that makes your life a little bit brighter. I'm with you laughing is my favorite thing in the world to do and to make other people do whenever possible. I there's right. something there's something addictive about making somebody laugh. When you make somebody laugh and you can keep making them laugh, it's like pouring fuel on a fire. It's amazing. And it's like gold, right? There's some yeah. reward in there's some reward. There are some people, I think you and I are both those people that yeah. we <laughs> we derive something when a, when we can make a crowd laugh, you know? Yeah. I don't even need a crowd. One person's good enough for me. But yeah, when you can make a bunch of people <laughs> yeah. laugh. I should say an audience. Yes. Yeah, yeah. An audience of one. Is okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes I don't even need that. You know, my wife and will I, say, are you laughing at yourself? And I'm like, yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> we had a, a fun experience once. We did an event. I can't remember. Was it uh, for oh, the you Taste and of I? Home Cooking? Yeah, the it Taste of Home Cooking show. Home Cooking event. Yes, it was. Yep. We were giving away prizes. And uh, one of the prizes that we were giving away, do you remember? Oh, yes, I do. It was a floor cleaning clit. <laughs> Or at least that's what I said. (laughs) And a room full of women 
roared with laughter. And wasn't that a moment for us, Jason? I think that was our best moment together on stage ever. It was fantastic because after everything calmed down, after the the little uh, faux pas, (laughs) you know, we moved on and we went on with the program. And then, you know, we gave away another one. And I said, "Uh, by the way, that is a floor cleaning kits. (laughs) And everybody laughed again. Another uproarious applause. Yeah. Classic. Oh, it was a theme. And I'll tell you that uh, the owner of the uh, cleaning supply company that supplied us with those floor cleaning kits thanked me later on. He said that was just the best thing ever. He said people were coming in telling him about it. So (laughs) good for us. We sold some floor cleaning kits. And we made people (laughs) laugh. Oh, uh, that was good. Back to George Carlin. I mm-hmm. get the sense that you're gonna uh, you're gonna talk a little bit more about him. Yes. Um, so he was in the Air Force. He's number two on Comedy Central's list of top ten, and he's number two on the Rolling Stones' top fifty list of comedians as well. He's number two on my list too. Okay, number two for me is Dimitri Martin. I don't know who that is. So he's another guy with a, a bunch of Netflix specials. He had a Comedy Central show for a, lot, a while called Important Things with Dimitri Martin. He was a huge fan of Stephen Wright growing up, and his comedy style is very similar. Not quite as deadpan. You know, Stephen Wright, I don't know if you remember Stephen Wright. Oh, yes. He had the real, when I die, I'm going to donate my body to science fiction. Right. Like just real sort of monotone, but very, very funny and, and real thinkers. Dimitri Martin's the same thing. He's written a couple of books, too. And he does a cool thing during his stand-up where, you know, he does the jokes and tells some stories. But he also has, uh, like, one of those giant notepads on an easel. Like, if you were playing a Pictionary with a group and you wanted to stand in front of the whole group and do it. Yes. And he does really funny drawings, too. I can't explain them. You have to see them to appreciate them. Just really, really funny. He's also been in some movies. uh, The movie In a World, which is about the voiceover world. Contagion and Taking Woodstock. Nominated for a writing Emmy in 2004 for Late Night with Conan O'Brien. He attended Yale University and NYU School of Law on a full scholarship. So he's got the funny and the intellect. Yes. He grew up in New Jersey, too. That's something I didn't know until recently in Tom's River, which is uh, South Jersey by the shore. I like him even more because he's from Jersey. Just to give you an idea of some of his humor, I like fruit baskets because it gives you the ability to mail someone a piece of fruit without appearing insane. Like if someone just mailed you an apple, you'd be like, huh? What the hell is this? But if it's in a fruit basket, you're like, this is nice. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The worst true story, right? The worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades. Oh, man, that's like a joke grenade, as they call it. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, it out there. It took me a second. <laughs> yeah. I like to use, I can't believe it's not butter on my toast in the morning, because sometimes when I eat breakfast, I like to be incredulous. How was breakfast? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> His delivery is way better than mine, too. I want to make a jigsaw puzzle that's 40,000 pieces, and when you finish it, it says, go outside. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to do of Dimitri Martin's material. Because he's way funnier than me. I got to know who your number one comic is. My number one is um, worth $6.7 billion in movie sales. Hmm. And his personal net worth is $200 million. He was a staple of SNL and his first movie was 48 Hours. He Ah. is the incredible Eddie Murphy. I didn't put Eddie Murphy in my top five, and I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Eddie Murphy, to me, is more of a a movie star and an acting comic. He obviously had legendary stand-up specials, too, and and I was going to talk about that. Eddie Murphy Delirious is classic. Yes, it is. 
But I feel like he hasn't done a lot of stand-up comedy in recent years, certainly. That's what made it hard for me to put him in my top five. But, I mean, holy shit, is he amazing. I put him in the top five because he was the person who made me laugh the most and realized that it was the laughter. Plus, we have a lot in common, Eddie Murphy and I. His mom was a telephone operator, so okay. was mine. His first car was a 76 Camaro. So is mine. Wow. There are other things that we have in common as well. Like we size people up and say things like, I could take them. And so <laughs> for, me, for me, it was that. But uh, you're right about him not being active in the stand-up comedy realm. He talked mm -hmm. a little bit about that with Jerry Seinfeld on mm -hmm. the Netflix show. And there was even a Netflix special with just he and Jerry Seinfeld sitting on a stage asking questions. It was kind of odd to me because I think, I think Eddie Murphy has retreated a little bit. Yeah. He may be an introvert, which again is like me and people wouldn't guess that, but he's away from the stand-up comedy and he's the one who talked, was talking about working out and that if he was going to do a stand-up routine, he would have to start at the bottom again and do it all over. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about the amount of work that goes into that mm -hmm. and said, boy, it'd be easier if just someone gave me a script and paid me a few million dollars, yeah. which is what he does now. But he does have some iconic characters. I mean, uh, you think about Norbit. He was nominated or won an Oscar for Dreamgirls. The mm -hmm. Nutty Professor, The Clumps. Um, he was Dr. Doolittle. He mm -hmm. had Daddy Daycare with Steve Zahn, who is, I think, an underrated comedic actor. Oh, yeah. Shrek, Mulan, yep. Raw, Delirious, SNL. And he had some characters like Mr. Robinson and Gumby and Buckwheat, Beverly Hills Cop, Trading Places, and then oh the other movies that he's just iconic. And so he is my number one. Yeah, I mean, for funny movies, he's definitely one of the best, without question. Coming to America, too. They're actually making a Beverly Hills Cop 4 for Netflix, and all of the original cast members are coming back. I'm a huge Eddie Murphy fan, no question. That Delirious special... When I first saw it, it was life-changing. Yep, uh, I totally agree with that. You know, it hasn't aged great. It's now almost 40 years old. It, it's yeah. aged fine for me because I don't give a shit about political correctness when it comes to comedy. I feel like comics, nothing should be off limits to comics because let's face it, no matter like the darkest thing you can think of that people shouldn't joke about or whatever, you thought something funny about it. I don't care what you say. We all do. It's well, almost I like a defense mechanism. I think there's an easy thing for a lot of people to just want to be outraged. And I think that's where society is now. So mm -hmm. comedians tap into that. They can make us outraged because mm -hmm. of that so fast. And Ricky Gervais is another one who I wanted to put in my top five because I think he's funny. I think he's smart. He's rich. He's really had an impact. But he also takes this political correctness and turns it on its side. And uh, so Eddie Murphy couldn't do what he did in the 80s to make himself famous today. But you also got to figure that the 80s were a different time. And now we know a little bit more. So judging a person by their past or what took place in society in mm -hmm. the past is really difficult to do. It happens all the time. We judge our forefathers on today. And you really shouldn't do that. You think about Thomas Jefferson and oh yeah, all of that. But it was perfectly normal then. I agree with you that delirious and raw comedy specials of Eddie Murphy back in the 1980s were indeed life-changing. And, you know, what was it, like an hour and a half of full-on laughter? Oh, yeah. So really good <laughs> stuff. He's, he's my number one. There's just yeah, no I doubt mean, about it. 
Yeah, I mean, today, I mean, I can't say lemonade without thinking of lemonade, that cool, refreshing drink. I mean, literally, like every time we talk about lemonade, it comes out. It's like part of my vernacular. (laughs) Hold on a second, Jason. I've got a fucking cat. She hears me talking and she thinks she has to come talk too. Um, That's all right. Give me a second. I'm going to put her upstairs. Jeez. Holy cow. I got to run upstairs and put her outside. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm back. How's that? I'm laughing because when you picked up the cat, I was like, <laughs> yeah. she makes noise constantly. And yeah. if if you're talking, she goes, Oh, I, I must get in on this. And man. Anyway, that's good, good stuff. Number one for me, George yes. Carlin. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah. Yeah, Carlin it was another life changer for me. I remember being 13 years old. And seeing that Carlin at Carnegie for the first time. And I really wasn't familiar with George Carlin at that time. I didn't know much about stand-up comedy at all, to be honest with you. He had 14 HBO specials from 1977 until he died in 2008. That's amazing. You mentioned the Seven Dirty Words bit. He had uh, two Grammys for his albums, FM and AM in 1972 and Jammin' in New York in 1993. And that's kind of cool because 20 years apart, his relevance lasted his whole life. I mean, it wasn't like, and he reinvented himself too. He was, when he originally started doing comedy after he did his radio career and he, and he started doing stand-up, he worked as a team with another guy. And then when he went out on his own, he started out as sort of like a clean cut, clean comic. He wasn't the George Carlin we all know and love. He dressed in a suit. His hair was combed. Exactly. And then he became a little bit more politically involved. I think the 60s were the turning point for him. And 60s into the 70s. And he started to be maybe a little angrier later on in life, too. Nowadays, you look at what's going on in our in our political system, in our society, and a lot of people always kind of say, gee, what would George Carlin say if he was still alive? Yeah, and, and you talk <laughs> a little bit about a guy who knew that the world was changing and needed to change with it. In yeah. the 1960s, Jason, he was making $250,000 a year. That is a ton of yeah, money in the 1960s. A, a shit ton and, of money in the 60s. And then he decided... He needed a break to change things. He Mm -hmm. took that break. And then in the 1970s, he came back as this counterculture guy, normally wearing a black T-shirt and jeans. He points out the things that are wrong in society and really makes you think about them, but in a funny way, which I think is a sneak attack, right? Yes. He would talk about things that were infuriating like the injustices in our society and government and everything else. and But he would do it in a way that you'd be mad, but at the same time going, preach, George. You know, you're right. He was the first ever host of Saturday Night Live, October of 1975. And he was also the first ever host of a show called Fridays, which uh, debuted in the 80s on ABC, which was basically their version of SNL. Inducted into the Comedy Hall of Fame in November 1994, received a Hollywood Walk of Fame star in January of 87, awarded the 2008 Mark Twain Prize for American Humor by the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, and uh, just, to me, an important voice in comedy that is well missed. I'm sorry that I never got to see him live. I, I That's a regret that I have, that I never went to see him. I did have the opportunity to see him live. Oh, and cool. I'll tell you that it was really interesting because we were talking about working out and how the comedians do that and how they try to figure out the best words. And he actually said in, in the show, because it was a smaller venue in a small town, 
he said, look, I'm, I'm trying out some new stuff here tonight, so I'm going to do things a little bit differently. And at one point, he told this joke, and he didn't like the way he set it up. He said, wait, hold on. Let me start that over. And he did that twice for the same joke so that he could get where he wanted to go with it. So he was really working out that material on a live audience to see where it went. I love that. See, I would be psyched to be in, in a crowd and seeing that happen. I mean, I know a lot of people go, well, I want to see the finished product. But to see a master at work like that, that's an amazing thing to experience. I think that's right. It, it is one of the things that I remember most about that show. I knew that he was funny, but I can't tell you any of the jokes. I can tell you that he took that moment to try out new material. Yeah. And I love that. I love being part of it. Yeah, it's very cool. And he has some of the all-time classic bits one of my favorites is the difference between football and baseball. And I'm not going to go into the bit because I can't do it anywhere near as good as he does because he was a master wordsmith and the way he said things was just perfect. But he was more than that, too. He's in mm -hmm. 27 movies. Yeah. So that's a pretty big deal, too. And you were talking about his jokes, but it was more than that. Mm -hmm. There was a, a delivery where he could really spit out a bunch of words really oh, yeah. fast. And so his ability to communicate in a really fast way to <laughs> bring you to the emotion that he wanted you to get to was really masterful. He was a grand communicator. The way he said things, what he said, all important. And like you said, he was in a lot of movies. And he did some dramatic stuff, too. One of my favorite performances of his in a film was in the Kevin Smith movie Jersey Girl. He plays uh, Ben Affleck's father. Just a wonderful performance. And something that was very surprising because, you know, we had never really seen a lot of that. Most of the stuff that he did on film, you know, was funny. And he was funny in Jersey Girl, too. But he was also very uh, grounded in his performance. So He was critically acclaimed in Prince of Tides as well. I think he played a psychologist on, mm -hmm. on that. And he was the voice of Mr. Conductor on Thomas the Tank Engine. So yeah. there's that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's great when, when somebody of his nature can play to kids too. And he said that he did that because he just didn't want to be known as a, an angry old guy all the time. <laughs> I had a couple of quotes from Carlin, but the one that, that I read that really made me laugh and made me think and, and this is what he was so good at. I'm completely in favor of the separation of church and state. My idea is that these two institutions screw us up enough on their own, so both of them together is certain death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who just missed for you? Boy, there were so many, Jason. The one that I really wanted to put on my top five but just couldn't do it because I don't think he's been around long enough, but I really enjoy Kevin Hart these days. Yeah, see, a lot of the people that made my just miss list that didn't make the top five are not because they're not funny enough to be in the top five. It's because I might not be as familiar with their material. Like Kevin Hart is a perfect example of a guy who I've enjoyed in movies immensely. He's always yeah. funny in movies. And I think part of it is because of his stature. And he, you know, he plays that up, obviously, because yeah. he's not a tall guy. Again, the way he talks is funny, but I'm not really that familiar with his stand up material. I had Richard Pryor at the top of my just yeah. miss. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a generational thing. I yeah. obviously was alive when Pryor was doing comedy. Right. But I feel like Richard Pryor made Eddie Murphy possible. And Eddie Murphy right. made Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle possible. And those guys are also on my just miss list. And I've watched material from them. But I feel like I chose people that I kind of grew up admiring and enjoying and people that I'm, I'm really into now. Yeah, it's so hard because... 
you know, you never want to feel like you're out of touch with other people's cultures and other people's styles and all that. I had Pryor on my list as well. I think that he was culturally so important. Mm-hmm. The challenge for me was exactly what you're saying is that I really wasn't familiar with his material. In fact, what I remember most about Richard Pryor were his drug troubles. And yeah. so I, I knew that he was funny and I liked some of his funny stuff, but I'm just not that familiar with his older material. And it didn't strike a chord with me the way somebody like Eddie Murphy did. I mean, he was very funny in movies too. And I remember reading a story that Mel Brooks, when he was writing Blazing Saddles, yes. and and like they used the N-word a lot in that movie. Yeah, you Richard know? Pryor wrote part of that. Yeah, and I think Richard Pryor signed off on that. He said, don't worry about it, Mel, it's funny. I'm just going to sort of run down the list quickly. We'll be here all day if we try to like get into things. But Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle, John Mulaney. John yeah. Mulaney was a writer on SNL for many years, and he's been a guest host. And he's done a, a couple of stand-up specials on Netflix. Very, very funny. Pete Holmes, he's another one. He has a yep. couple of specials on HBO, and he's done some TV stuff. There have been a lot of really funny people that have come out of The Daily Show. One of the funniest is Indian comic Hasan Minaj. He actually has a couple of specials on Netflix, too. We watched his latest one. It's called The King's Jester. He's another one of those storyteller guys, but he does yeah. like stories, but also shows pictures behind him and stuff. He called it PowerPoint comedy in the special <laughs> and really, really good. Anthony Jeselnik, Sebastian Maniscalco, Dana Carvey, Billy Crystal, David Spade, Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams, Mitch Hedberg, Bill Burr, Louis C.K. Yeah, I had Bill Burr on my list too. Yeah, he's a real angry guy, but he's funny. Yeah. Actually, Bill Burr, in a lot of ways, I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Carlin, but he's got that similar style where the outrage and and all that kind of stuff. Patton Oswalt. Yes. He's got a couple of really funny specials on Netflix. Uh, He has a new one out, too. Very, very, very funny. Joan Rivers, Ron White, Sam Kinison. I loved Sam Kinison back in the day. Stephen Wright, Jim Gaffigan, Rodney Dangerfield, Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll is a guy that's done a lot of uh, funny acting stuff. Another guy with a new special on Netflix that's very funny. Sarah Silverman, Dennis Miller, Jim Brewer, and Kevin James were some of the other names that I had. All great. Yeah, I love that most of your list, or or many on your list, were kind of current. And mm-hmm. uh, that surprises me. There were, there were some names that I'm not really familiar with. And I was looking at this as more of the greatest of all time and was really trying to find the comedians that... I thought sort of stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. So for me, my list is is a lot older. That's um, fine. I had Ro- I had Rodney Dangerfield, Dave Chappelle, Gary Shandling, mm. um, Jim Carrey, Dana Carvey, Steve Martin, Don Rickles, Jonathan Winters, Joan Rivers, Bill Burr, Dennis Miller, Billy Crystal. Mm-hmm. Those were all on my just miss list. Yeah, all great choices. I included a lot of newer people because somebody has to take the place of the Carlins and the Priors and people like that that are no longer with us that are geniuses. And a lot of these newer comics, I think they're so important nowadays because of all the bullshit that's going on in society and politics and everything else. These are the people that are pointing out the shit and making us think while making us laugh at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's a really important part of what comedians do. I think that yeah. their ability to tap into your brain and make that little nugget, that's the thing with laughter, it'll stick in there. It really does change society. You you realize, oh my God, 
that is wrong. And it's so wrong that we should laugh at it and point at it and laugh at it. Absolutely. This has been a very philosophical podcast, Jason Davis. Yeah, about comedy, no less. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what, though? The uh, Who knows? Maybe the, the philosophers, the ancient philosophers, were considered comics back in the day to some degree. Ladies you know? and gentlemen, it's Plato. Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. <laughs> Bill and Ted, love it. Which starred? George Carlin. Oh, there you go. That's right. Yeah, How Rufus. About that? The world and life is so serious. Who wants drama from their entertainment all the time? I gotta laugh. Yeah. You really gotta find a little bit of levity. And that's one of the things that I gravitate toward people who really enjoy making fun. I was at the hardware store yesterday and me and a guy were just having a really good time making fun of the window department. So it was, it was just, you know, anytime you can share a laugh, you yeah. share a laugh. It is rare that it happens just by yourself. And when it does happen just by yourself, you want to tell somebody because you want to magnify that laughter. And that's one of the great things about comedians is their ability to take a moment and magnify it for all of society, at least yeah. the really good comedians. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Les, this has been a, a really fun episode. Listen, when you're talking about funny people, how can it not be fun, right? Right. You just mention their name and you smile, right? Absolutely. Or you think of one of their classic bits. Ma, <laughs> throw down some money. The ice, the cream, ice cream man, man is coming. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I got nothing else. You? Nope. It's been a joy. Ha ha. Ha ha. Les, thanks so much for taking the time and, and doing this episode with me. It's always a pleasure recording with you and sharing some laughs with you. I can't think of a better person to be laughing with than you, uh, Jason Davis. Thanks. The feeling's mutual. And thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. The Ranking Things podcast is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, internet and corporate video, e-learning, phone message, and more. And we also want to know what you think. If you want to join the conversation, email us, rankingpodcast at yahoo.com, or you can tweet me at Jason Davis Voice. Thanks so much for listening to the Ranking Things podcast.